Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Uh, today is episode 56 of the podcast, and I get to sit down with my dear friend and one of my favorite people on the planet, Chaplain Colonel Charles Causey. Now, Charles and I served together uh, many years in the military, and this special Memorial Day uh, episode of the podcast, he shares some of his stories. He talks about how God worked when he was deployed in Iraq. He talked about what it means to lean into the promises of God and so much more. I know you're going to love this conversation. Uh, ignore my stupid laughing with him because when, when he and I get together, I just giggle sometimes. I, I think it's just one of those shared experiences things. So I, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you, uh, you you take some truth away from what Charles has got to say. And uh, just a reminder, we'd love for you to be a part of our community here at the Reclamation Podcast. I want to invite you to text the word RECLAIM to 66866 and sign up for helpful tips and for blogs on reclaiming the balance of faith and life. Also, leave a comment wherever you can. Subscribe, leave a rating. It helps people find the platform and uh, continue to spread what God is doing through this uh, incredible ministry. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Chaplain Colonel Charles Causey. Oh, let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I've got a special guest today, uh, one of my lifelong mentors, uh, Chaplain Colonel Charles Causey. Charles, how are you, my friend? Hey, Tony. Great to be here. Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here in Hawaii. The sun is out. I just wish you were with me. Amen. I wish I was with you too. I, it's, a, it's a weird season for me because two people that I love the most, uh, you and then of course my brother AJ are in Hawaii right now. And I'm, I haven't been there yet, but uh, depending on what the Rona does, uh, Mrs. Meltenberger is talking about maybe a trip in, in June. So I hope, you got, get, I hope you got room. Oh yeah, that'd be great. We have some guest rooms, so it'd be awesome. So, uh, Charles, um, can you tell everyone how you and I met? Because I, I, that's kind of a, our, our bromance, which uh, has developed over, I, I was, it started in 2007. Can you kind of give everybody the backdrop to, um, to what you and I did together in the Army? <laughs> sure. Uh, so, just as succinctly as possible here, I was coming off of a, a deployment to Iraq, and I hit back into Hugo, Minnesota, the Twin Cities area at the 88th Regional Support Command, I think is what it was called at the time. And uh, I was asked by the Army to do a one-year mobilization CONUS in the States to specifically to teach strong bonds marriage conferences. Well, when I showed up at the unit, they said, here's your chaplain assistant, Tony Milner. <laughs> I think you were a sergeant at the time or you, or were you? Uh, yeah, I was a buck sergeant. I was an E5 sergeant. Yeah. E5. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I think when we first met, we were trying to figure each other out. Um, I was excited. I always love having a chaplain assistant. My, my father was a chaplain, uh, active duty chaplain in the army. And he always thought really highly of his assistants and, and tried to take care of them and they helped him. So I was just excited to see what God had in store for our relationship. Yeah, and, and uh, what's interesting is, is so strong bonds, for those of you that don't know, um, it's relationship retreats for people preparing to leave for deployment and coming back from deployment. And so for an entire year, you and I got to do these incredible retreats for married soldiers and single soldiers. And uh, every weekend, it felt like we were off to a different four-star hotel spending all the army's money i don't even know why they paid us for that <laughs> you know we designed a better job description it's like let's have the army pay for us and our spouses to travel around and stay in nice places to do the things we love doing and that is talking about relationship skills so, <laughs> so much fun working with you uh oh man it, it was uh, such an informative part of, of my life or formative rather part of my life. Um, but, but you didn't, you didn't, uh, before that year in deployed in Iraq, um, you weren't doing army stuff full time. You were a pastor in the twin cities area as a church planner. Tell everybody what makes someone get into church planning. Cause that feels like one of the hardest things in the world. 
Wow. Well, for me, I had a very aggressive father-in-law who had the gift of recruiting. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think, uh, Tony, church planning is hard. It's, it's like uh, pioneering and it's, you're starting with one family and that's your own family. Mm. And, uh, there, there's a challenge to it. Um, I, I think it goes back to some of the things in sacred scripture where the apostle Paul went out and planted churches in Asia minor. And the thought is for some people, I think, I think they would like to start a new work and reach new people or new tribes of people instead of building on another man's work. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, my, my calling to the church plant, I, I was called to be a pastor. I know that. And we really prayed a lot about the church planning opportunity. And I feel like uh, God just, he, he led us there. And I, I had already developed some skills in evangelism and discipleship through working with a organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. Sure. I think church planning and evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. And it's all about relationships. And you start with your neighbors across the street. And it's not the easiest thing in the world. But um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but. Oh, that's great. I I think it, uh, it has a lot to do with calling and gifting, which I think a lot of us look at um we forget to look at when we think about what the next step is so kind of um so you you'd planted a church and how long were you at the church before you got deployed i believe it was uh three or four years um so you're there for four years and then you get mobilized to iraq um what was that transition like for you And, and what can you tell us uh, that you learned about God while you were deployed in Iraq? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I had, when I, when I got on the plane, I finally was heading back after, I, was, I hadn't seen my family for a long time. I'd been gone for 14 months. And I sat on the airplane and somebody said, hey, where are you coming from? I said, I just, I'm coming back home from Iraq. He goes, oh, wow. What was that like? And I had no words. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a talker. I'm kind of like you. I have the gift of gab. And, uh, but I had no words for him. I did get to see God work on the fob in an amazing way. And I have some stories and I'd love to share a story today. Please. You, you want me to go ahead? And oh share? yeah, absolutely. Jump, jump right into it. We're here for the stories, man. <laughs> um, well, we had uh, one of our commanders overseas. He, he had, he was just a man of anger and he was kind of violent and he was loud. And a lot of times he would just yell at soldiers and they didn't even want to be in the room. I heard there was one time he was in, a lot of our buildings were cement block buildings there. Mm-hmm. And he was throwing metal chairs around just oh, out gosh. of frustration. Well, one time I went in to see how he was doing and uh, I walked in to the room and he yelled at me. There was a group of people and he yelled at me, he goes, <laughs> you may not want to come in here, chaplain, because I'm in a bed. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's okay. I'll stay. And I stood there. Well, what was funny was everybody else in the room took that as an opportunity to leave. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> eight- <laughs> and it was just he and I standing there. So I said, hey, uh, why don't we go take a walk and talk? And he goes, well, I'm not really in a mood right now, but I'll walk with you. So we got out and we're walking along the fob and which is forward, forward operating base. It, it is. Yeah. Forward operating base. Sorry about that. I'll help. That's okay. It was in, uh, I was in uh, Taji, Iraq at the time in 06. Mm. Anyway, we were, we were talking and I just asked him, you know, why, why are you so angry? Why, why are you so frustrated all the time? And he said that uh, one of the reasons was that, he'd lost some military radios and the army was going to hold him accountable for that. And radios, you know, it's not like the ones you buy at Walmart that are 60 bucks. Military of course spends thousands of dollars on the radios and he was going to have a statement of charges and it was going to look bad for him being the commander. And it just wasn't what he wanted. And I just, I stopped him. I said, Hey, uh, could I pray for God to find your radios for you? And he goes, do you think that would help? (laughs) <laughs> it's not gonna hurt <laughs> sure enough 
And uh, what's funny was I said, can I put my hand on your shoulder? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I just prayed a real short, simple prayer. I said, God, please help this commander find his radios. Amen. Well, he went his way. I went my way. And I never really thought about the experience. And it was a couple weeks uh, later that he comes storming in the chapel. I had never seen him in the chapel before. And he comes in there and he was, he had a beam on his face and he was so excited. And he goes, chaplain, God found my radios. <laughs> like, wow, that's awesome. I said, tell me about it. What happened? And he goes, I don't know. It's just the military police came by an hour ago and they, they, they gave me these, this equipment that they had found uh, in a dumpster. And uh, I said, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. He goes, so what do we do here? And I said, well, I said, what do you want to do? I said, we, we could have a Bible study. Is that what you mean? <laughs> I was like, well, we have chapel here. We have counselors here. I said, you want to be in Bible study together? He said, sure. So we met, I remember every Monday night, we would get our trays at the DFAC and we would uh, go sit down and, or, or we would bring our food over to the chapel and we would meet for an hour and talk. And we went through the gospel of John together. Oh, wow. And I got to see God change a human life. And it was pretty incredible. This guy, he became a different person and he grew and I, I just, I, I'm so excited for what God did in his life. And uh, I think other, a lot of other people on the FOB saw the change in him. But do you want to hear the rest of the story? Oh, really I, I know it. And I can't wait for you to tell it. It's my favorite part. I didn't even think about sharing this story this way, actually. Um, so uh, a year or two, a couple years later, the Army, after I worked with you, the Army sent me to Fort Dix, New Jersey. And I was uh, a chaplain there uh, for a command. And my wife and I, we hadn't really settled down on a church or a chapel yet. And we visited this church outside of the base, a little church in Jacobstown. And the pastor asked me if I would pray. He had to be gone one Sunday. So he asked me if I would uh, preach a sermon for him. And I decided to do that. And I decided to uh, preach on prayer, the topic of prayer and some scripture that I put together. And as an illustration for that, I said, God answers sometimes real simple prayers. We don't always have to pray in the King James and have it be a long prayer. And I shared the story about the radios. Well, afterwards, uh, I was in the parking lot with my son, Nick. I think we'd taken two cars and Lori had gone with the kids home. And a man came up to me that I'd never met before. And he said, hey, chaplain, I want to talk to you about your story that you shared today. I said, okay. He goes, hey, I want to know uh, what, what year were you in Iraq? And at first I thought he was trying to question my story like it didn't really happen. I didn't know where he was going. So I was like, uh, 06, 07. He said, and what, when was it that that situation happened with the radios? I said, uh, May, about you know, spring time frame of 2007. And he's like, and which fob were you on again? And where on the fob were, you know, he was asking me all these specific questions. I was like, hey, why are you asking me all these questions? And he goes, well, I was a government contractor and I was at fob Taji uh, that year. And he goes, and right around that time in May of 2007, I was walking back to my hooch and I looked over in a dumpster and I saw there were these boxes of brand new army material just laying in there and I thought that didn't look quite right and he said so I went over and inspected and it was military equipment and I decided to turn it into the MPs he goes right about that time and Tony as you can imagine my mind just started exploding <laughs> I, started, I started doubting his story I'm like hey now when were you there and what part of the fob and all you know won't and he do it realize that god was showing me the other side of that prayer story mm. and i told the man i said thank you and he said what for i said for being faithful that day i said you could have not bothered not had the time like the good samaritan story could have walked around it he could have stolen them 
and shipped him home. But he chose to do the right thing that day as a Christian man. And he had no idea that a prayer had been said about this and the impact and the dominoes that were going to go off with it. And then the other part of the story is that I've been able to use this story all across the country and in a book and different places to encourage men and women and young people to pray and trust God and to trust in the promises of God because they're true. He is real and he cares about us. No, oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that story. And I love, I love the truth behind it. Um, what, what was your rhythm of, pl- of prayer while you were deployed and, and what is it now and how have you seen it change or grow? Not just because of that story, but just in your own, uh, in your own walk with Christ. How, how, what is, what's prayer kind of done for you in this process? Yeah, another great question. So I think in a lot of ways since then, prayer used to be an event for me. Mm. I would do it as part of my quiet time. I, w- I would say prayers and um, pray for specific people and pr- specific requests. And what has become so true in my life, and I don't know when this happened, um, but in the last few years since deployment and even today, um, I just find I'm in a state of prayer more continuously, like all through the day, like an ongoing conversation with God. And I know that other people talk about that and it's written about in books, but just in a practical sense in my life and just time management, it's not just scheduled in for five minutes right after I read a chapter of scripture anymore. And um, I don't know, I, I, you know, Tony, you can be on a hike and see a beautiful scenery and just be thanking God and praising God. And that's prayer. Um, and I, I really believe that prayer takes many shapes and forms, but um, it's, for me, it's become this ongoing conversation with God. And I know he hears me. And I know he's doing a lot behind the scenes. I've been separated from my family a lot, especially the last couple of years. And uh, there's been a lot of times I just pour out my heart to God. Hmm. And I know his grace is sufficient. Again, just trusting the promises of God. And when we commit our works to the Lord, our plans are established. And those are just so precious to me to hold on to. And during this COVID environment, I know that God has this. So when we go to him in prayer, we just pray as his kids. That's who we are. And we say, dad, father, help us out here. There's a lot going on. Our hearts are empty sometimes. Please fill them. Please fill them with your love. I love that. Um, I, I guess I think that there's probably somebody listening who is really unfamiliar with the promises of God. Um, how, how did you get to a place where you had enough faith to believe that, that they were true for you? Wow. That might be one of the heaviest questions anyone's ever asked me, Tony. You're, good. <laughs> You're a good, good podcast interviewer. <laughs> well, thank you. Wow. I, I guess there's just been so many times in my life when I think if something would happen, it would be great. And God does even better. Mm. And he does things in ways that I couldn't have even thought about. He will put me in situations that I didn't even imagine existed. (laughs) So I couldn't have even prayed for them to happen. (laughs) And over a lifetime of this, I, I guess I've just learned to trust that God's ways are better. I don't know. There's really no words for it sometimes. But I I think one of the things that I've noticed as I've learned from you over the years is that um, commitment to the disciplines of being in the word so that you can know the promises. And then when they play out in front of you, stand in awe of God. Right. And you've always been super humble about that, uh, which I, which I've appreciated watching. And so, I mean, your quiet time in the word. I mean, you were one of the first people I ever met that did that. 
Uh, do you remember what we did the year that we were together in, in Minnesota? Did we read through the Bible in a year? Is that what we were? We I know did. I- we did. And we did it with our spouses. <laughs> and mine was over the phone. <laughs> you challenged me. Do you remember that? <laughs> what did you say? She challenged you? or what Well, you challenged me. You were like, well, let's get Karen and, and Lori to do it as well. And then the four of us would read through the Bible. And then the first, I, I mean, how much time do you think we spent in the morning talking about scripture every day? As compared, as compared to doing our jobs. <laughs> Is this going to get back to the U.S. Army? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I, I think the Army's seen the fruit of it. <laughs> but, well, I mean, that, but that is a gutsy decision, right? You, you made a conscious choice to disciple me as a part of our, our work environment. And I've seen you disciple other guys over the years. Um, how, how did you get to a place where – uh, like you did with the commander in Iraq, like you did with me in Minnesota, like you've done with countless others along the way. How did that become a normal rhythm for you to see a man and walk a man, walk with a man in his faith? Wow. Well, I had men in my life that walked with me mm. and stayed with me through times where I was unfaithful. And part of that was in college. I remember we had... <laughs> We had a Bible study in our dorm room. And sometimes when I was a freshman, my friend and I, we would just blow them off and we would be gone. We'd go to the movies. We would come back and these dear men were sitting outside our door. They waited for like two and a half hours. For- <laughs> and it wasn't because they thought any minute we would show up and we just forgot. It was to teach us a lesson that our actions impact other people. And they were sitting on a floor, like a tile floor in the basement of a dorm room that wasn't comfortable with their backs against a wooden door. And they just waited for us to show up and said, hey, you missed Bible study. <laughs> and we were like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you what, after that, you know, some experiences like that, I had a discipler in my life in college. And I remember telling him one time, there was an all night prayer meeting and I didn't feel like going. I just didn't have anything I wanted. I didn't have a reason. I just didn't want to go. And I told him, I said, I just, I don't feel like I'm going to get anything out of it. And he just looked at me and he said, Kazi, it's not for you to get anything out of. Hmm. And he meant by that, it's for me to give (laughs) and to pray (laughs) for others. And it just like, he took, he took the wind out of my sail, knocked the legs out from under me. And I ended up going that night and I was so blessed. Of course. And I've had men in my life that have stood by me and I, I've been, I've been an idiot sometimes and I failed and I've failed people and I've had men that have spoken truth to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I've seen through discipleship relationships growth and not just any kind of growth, but it's the Colossians two growth, a growth, which is from God. Hmm. And I guess once you get a taste for that and you see how God can change a human heart, it's addicting and you want others to experience it too. So I love that. Um, and, and certainly, certainly you've, li- you've lived that out over time, which I, I appreciate. And I've, I've been so blessed to see firsthand uh, when, when you came back um, from Iraq and you and I were serving together in Minnesota. We're, we're literally traveling around um, the, the United States. And I, I can remember that being an especially challenging time for you, figuring out ways to integrate with your family, who you had been a part of, for, been away from, from uh, for 14 months prior to that. So it's it kind of in rapid succession, right? We had, you had a 14-month deployment. You come back. You get a brand-new mission that requires you to leave four days out of uh, you know, eight days out of the month. We did two retreats a month usually. And even though they were nice locations, our spouses didn't go with us. And you have four amazing children. They didn't go with, they didn't go with us either. Uh, very often anyway. And yeah, sometimes our spouses went with us. And some on, 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 a, on occasion when we could swing it. And uh, <laughs> what was it like for you? getting back into the groove uh, of connecting with your family from 07 to 08 and and how did you do it well 
No, wow. I didn't do it well, first of all. And I'm going to answer your question, and then I'm going to turn the tables here and ask you a question or two, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it was hard. I, I'll just be honest with you. Uh, Lori and I had been used to living apart and making mm -hmm. our own decisions, and she'd been raising the family and raising the kids, and they had found a new normal. And when I got back to the family situation, it was just like, you know, the year and a half before I left them, I was back in time and thought everything would just pick up the same there. Well, Lori had changed. The kids had all changed. Obviously, they'd grown another year. Mm. The dynamic in the family had changed. They were going to mom in ways that they hadn't before. They weren't used to having dad in the house. And I say we had some growing pains to try to figure out a new family dynamic. And you were part of that. I was. I was because you were discipling me. And so you brought me over to your house every weekend. I, I, there was not a week that went by that I didn't have some of uh, Mrs. Causey's incredible cooking or playing with the kids who are now all grown adults. It's hard to believe, but that was an incredible season. Yeah. Well, Tony, let me turn the tables on you now and just say, what was God doing in your life at that point? And how did it <laughs> Hey, I'm the host of this. I'm the host of this podcast. No, well, this this is what I'll say. Right, is um, is I had never been in the scripture like you and I dove into the scripture before, and I I don't think I ever would have gotten there without you. Uh, and and obviously, I don't want to doubt God because God can and will redeem anything. But um, that year was a really hard year for for Karen and I, and and just my faith walk and. Um, figuring out sin in my life as a, as a, as you'll recall, I was, this is how the army works, right? A geographical bachelor, my wife and son at the time, I had one child were in Ohio and I was in Minnesota. And so I lived at a residence inn, and uh, I struggled with pornography that year. If you recall, you helped me walk through that. Uh, there was a session where I was crying in the Applebee's parking lot as we were asking God to break me of the chains of, of, of just that sin and just wrestling with my call because, you know, the army, we had a great year together and God did a lot of great things through us. And so there was an opportunity for me to continue on in the mission. And I felt really called and my wife did not feel called at all. <laughs> and so that, that was an opportunity to really wrestle with my call as a husband, father, and my call as a soldier and, um, you know, honestly, I, I, I can say probably definitively, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for those wrestlings that, that we got to do. And, and then I got to see you as a dad and a, and a husband. And I learned so much uh, watching, going to your church and setting up a, my first ever church plant because I'd grown up Catholic. So I'd never seen a church plant before. Getting there early and setting up chairs and staying late and taking down chairs and Everybody brought their Bibles. What's that? I forgot I made you do that. Thank you. Well, make is a strong word. You strongly suggested. And <laughs> in return, I got to eat some more of your wife's cooking. And so it was a trade-off, right? Because anything was better than hotel food at that point. <laughs> uh, well, hey, uh, I know that during that year, and you did have a tough year and grew a lot, but I heard God sent you your very own earthquake. Do you want to share about oh. that? <laughs> I will share about it since you teased it. Uh, I, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, doing a marriage retreat. And um, I was praying about my call. And uh, I was on the fourth floor. And I think you and Lori were on the second floor of this hotel. It was a, uh, a Marriott in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, there was an earthquake. And you guys couldn't feel it, and I could. I was the only one that could feel it, like only certain levels of the hotel. And I was asking God for a sign about whether or not to, to try to lean into Karen to get her to come to, uh, you know, this next phase of ministry or what the next phase of ministry was, was going to look like, right? And, and I was prepared to move. We were all going to move to Fort Dix, New Jersey and be one big happy family and uh, and God sent an earthquake, and then uh, Karen had an a employment opportunity that changed our financial situation enough where I could start working in the nonprofit world and, you know, beyond thankful for what God did in that. And your wife, who is uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, 
and she, I said, I said, did you guys feel that earthquake? And you, you guys were both like, huh? You know, and it was, it was that deadpan look on your face. And, uh, and I was like, I was, there's an earthquake. I was, I'm a hundred percent positive. And so I, I went over to the, the office and I said, there was an earthquake, right? And they were like, yeah, but only certain people. And so I went back over and I told you and Lori and Lori looked at me without even breaking like her fork to mouth kind of like moment. It was just so factual. God sent you that earthquake. And then she just went back to eating. And I was like, what do I do with that? <laughs> uh, it was a good year. It was a, it was a great year. Uh, ups and downs like anything. Uh, at the end of the year, though, our paths went in different directions. And you felt God call you into full-time army chaplaincy uh, in a program with the reserves called AGR. And uh, I guess one of the questions I would love to hear from you is how did you know it was the right time to move? And, and how do you hear God's voice in your life as it pertains to your call? Well, I have never heard an odd and audible from God. I've, ne I've never heard him speak to me um, in a way that I hear you talking to me today. But I have been so incredibly convinced mm. of a certain path because of how he makes my heart feel, how he has, has other people respond to it, um, I believe I showed you uh, something called a decision-making model. Oh, uh, I, I, I still give that. I give that away in counseling sessions all the time. <laughs> the counsel of the godly. I remember you drawing it out for me. Yeah. I still use that. Uh, I don't draw it out all the time depending on the decision, but it's helped Lori and I know if we were going to move to Minnesota to plant a church, we did that. We drew it out. Uh, it's helped me make big decisions and to go in the army, active duty. Uh, I just, I remember one thing, Tony, I was, Lori and I were at a, a church planters seminar event up in Northern Minnesota. We were some other church planning couples and we were in a car with a, two other couples. We're driving off somewhere to run an errand and we were talking about it. And Lori and I shared that we had the opportunity to go full-time active duty as a chaplain and we weren't sure if we should do that or not. Hmm. And I just remember another church planner looked at me and said, Charles, I and a lot of guys would love to serve the army full time at being in ministry full time. He goes, but I don't have that opportunity. He goes, if that door is open, I think you should look at it pretty seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember thinking, there probably are a lot of people that would love to be an active duty chaplain and don't have that opportunity because of either education or just the station of life or family, whatever. And we had that opportunity and I thought, you know what? I, I, I really believe, and that was part of that counsel of the godly. This was a godly man. I trusted his opinion and perspective. And I had other people just uh, come into my life and say, Hey, we think you'd do good at this. The army needs good people like you. And just some encouraging words. Um, and we took the step. When we went into church planning, we thought we'd be there for a lifetime. When we moved to Minnesota, we talked about buying some, you know, markers and a plot in a cemetery just to put the flag in and say, hey, this is where we're making a stand. And this is, we're going to live or die on the gospel in this area. And we wanted people to know that. And it's funny. It's a funny thing. You know, five or six years later, we're moving away. So I don't know how to explain it. We've got to remain flexible for God to use. Now, since being in the Army, I think flexibility is a great word because you've kind of been back and forth between duty stations from uh, New Jersey to the Pentagon to back to New Jersey, and, and you've kind of uh, risen up the ranks with time and education. You're a, you're a full board colonel now, uh, 06. When I met you, you were uh, a young major, I think, at the time. And uh, yeah. I'd love, love to get your perspective after uh, – it's been 20 years, right, in the Army? Well, I commissioned roughly 30 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, I've been a chaplain 
for about 16 years. I was a logistics officer before that in the reserves. Right. So in your 30 years of experience serving some of the most incredible people in the world that, that you run across in the army, what, what have you learned about leadership uh, in, in this process specifically as a, as a chaplain? Wow. You're asking these million dollar questions. <laughs> I didn't know what this interview was going to be like that. You said we're just going to talk like friends and just have a conversation. Friends don't ask each other these kind of questions. <laughs> I am your friend. I'm asking these questions. These are the questions that, that are so good. And you've got so much wisdom that I, I think it would be a crime to rob people of it. I don't, I don't feel like I have any, I just, I try to regurgitate things I hear from other people and <laughs> I read scripture and then people say that's wisdom, but that's okay. Um, you know, um, I, I came up with something uh, a few, like 20 years ago about leadership. And I, I, I think about it all the time as it relates to leadership. And it, it, I call it the AEIOU. And I, I've thought about this even recently in the job that I'm in now compared to one I was in 20 years ago. But a, a leader will articulate the values of the um, organization, equip people for the tasks at hand, for the mission. Um, the leader will incarnate the values of that organization. He has to. And the Army is a values-based organization. Mm. Um, you, you know our leadership acronym and integrity and honor and personal courage. Those are all part of that. Uh, so AEI, the O, I believe, is overly say thank you to people. And you is just to understand that God is in charge. It's his, it's his vision. It's his dream that he's given you. It's his uh, power that works through you. It's his passion that you use. And it, in a very real way, it's his presence that's going to sustain us. So I don't know if I've answered your question because I, I don't think, you know, people, it, it seems like we're always trying to figure out our life, like where we are in life, who we are in life. And I don't really believe that that's a biblical thing. Mm. Uh, there's a verse, I can't remember the exact scripture. I think it's in like 1 Corinthians 10 or something, but the apostle Paul talks about men who measure themselves by themselves, lack an understanding or it's something like that. And I think we're always trying to figure out our life, but I don't think we can at any one point in our life, we can't see our entire lives. And that's what's so amazing. You know, when we go to I, I do memorial services for fallen soldiers and I've done funerals for family members and, uh, I think you can see a person's entire life at their funeral and you can understand their life better. But as men and women, as we try to do that at any one point, it's hard to do. And that's what's so important about being faithful is that God has a whole lot going on that we can't see right now. And it's really trusting that he is at work creating phenomenal circumstances and opportunities for us to be part of. If we just trust him, we don't short circuit the system. We have faith. We don't take actions in our own hands. Like I do want to all the time. Oh, amen. So. That's me too. That's me too. hundred percent. That's a great answer. You handled that question. Like it was a softball. You I'm, I'm going to have words with you after this conversation. <laughs> uh, speaking of words, <clears throat> um, you've, you've put a lot of words out into the world. You've become uh, an accomplished writer You've written several uh, historical fiction novels, um, including In Danger Every Hour, a Civil War novel, uh, your, your other, oh, help me with the name of it, the one about, um, oh, I oh, like The Lion and the Lamb. <laughs> the Lion and the Lamb. Ah, I forgot that. That's the one I couldn't remember. I, but I, um, and then 
you published a book recently with Nav Press called Words and Deeds. It's about being a man of integrity. Um, so one of the questions that I think is, is interesting is how has writing played into the rhythm of your life and, and how, and it, cause it, it feels like it's something that you have to do. Wow. Um, yes, it's, it's a hobby. It's sometimes a compulsion. Um, people, other chaplain friends I have there say, how do you find time to write? I don't even find time to read a book. And my response is, time finds me. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I, I don't watch TV. Um, I'm not into social media a lot. I, I'm on Facebook and I use it, but I don't, Facebook is like a, a time hole. Before you know it, an hour is gone. Um, and I find, I remember when I started writing, the kids would go to bed and Lori sometimes would have schoolwork. She's a school teacher. And sometimes she'd be like, I need to spend an hour and a half grading papers. And kids would be in bed. And I had the choice of, you know, watching TV or reading a book or actually doing some research. And I, I started doing research and I started writing and I found that I just loved it. And it just thrilled me. Um, I just, I always try to do it where it didn't impact family life. Uh, I remember Isaiah my youngest son, he always comes out with wing dingers. You know, when I, when I was in Kuwait and I was about to come home from Iraq, I remember everybody was on the phone. They're saying, oh, we're so excited to see you. And, you know, it's just going to be a few more days now. And Isaiah got on the phone. I think he was only about five years old. And he goes, Dad, I can't believe you're not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> and bless his heart. I knew what he meant. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, he was concerned about that you know, and, and that's, that's how it came out in his words. And we've laughed about that now. But one of the things Isaiah said after I wrote my first book was, he goes, Dad, thanks for not sacrificing your family to write this book. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, goodness gracious, he's, he's only about, you know, eight or nine years old at this point when he says that. And, uh, and I, I got to be honest with you, I think I have sacrificed them in some ways. I think I've done writing when Maybe I could have spent time with my family, but overall, I think uh, it's been a great hobby to have when everybody's busy. I've got nothing else going on. And you know how it is in the military. We travel a lot. We go to TDY. We do things. Well, there's a lot of dead time when you're sitting around a motel room. And I learned to, in my backpack, just pack like three or four autobiographical works or, you know, archives, documents, <laughs> things that I could, I could write about. So it's, it's a hobby. It's a joy. It's a compulsion in a way. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, I know I love it. Um, I, I also think that it's part of your ministry. It's become part of your ministry. It seems like that one of the ways that you share the gospel is through these writings. And while, uh, you know, aside from words and deeds, the other two books aren't overtly uh, Christian. The, the Christian values, your values, um, they seep through the writing, which is, is a very enjoyable process to see. Um, do you find that God talks to you while you're writing? Oh, wow. Funny. Uh, it's a great question. It's a hard question. I really feel inspired sometimes. Mm. And it's not necessarily when the laptop is in front of me. There are sometimes like in the morning, um, it's kind of like that time when you wake up, but before you get out of bed and you're thinking about your day and sometimes it seems like God will just drop some thoughts on me and I'll just be blown away and I'll, I'll have to write them down. My memory's at the point now, I can't remember things at all. And so I have to write it down. And so I'm scribbling notes or putting stuff in my, the notes on my phone. You taught me that, I think. Um, and uh, putting them in the books, things. I, I do believe that God inspires me on some things that I have written. Yeah. And I, and I hope that in the, in the main that he's inspiring me to write the books that I've written and to encourage people through them. Uh, it certainly has been, has been true for me. And, and I just gave out another copy of words and deeds to a, a guy that I'm discipling recently and he sent me his score results and it, you know, it's a, a super interesting process and just love the discussion that comes out of it. And I think, 
you know, that's the beautiful part about writing like that is that you, you'll never get to see the impact that God used that uh, formation in, in someone else's life. And so it's a, it's a true gift and one that I, I'm excited to uh, be in heaven with you one day to talk about, to see all the people that were impacted by your writing. That's going to be incredible. Well, hey, Tony, I know you're a humble guy and you're being humble right now. You and I have written a book together. That's right. Unbreakable. Yeah. yeah. And that book is good because of your contributions to it. <laughs> you added so much just heartfelt, real shoe leather life experiences with Karen and, and in your own struggles. And the book, I, I've had so many people tell me that it's, it's like I'm reading about myself. <laughs> the way you get a book like that is when you put your heart and soul into it. And, and you did. And uh, the book is called Unbreakable. It's a marriage book. I think it's on your, your website still. It is. It is. I, I'll link to it in the show notes too. If somebody wants to pick it up or they can always contact me, I'll get them a copy and uh, still love to hand it out and, and still love to see what God does with it. Uh, yeah. so, so you've got four kids and we talked about Isaiah a little bit. Uh, Nick, uh, Maddie, and Hannah, and Isaiah, and I got to be a part of their lives for a whole year. But uh, what's blown me away is watching your kids grow up. And so uh, brace yourself. I'm getting ready to ask you a parenting question, okay? So I'm going to ask you for your thoughts on parenting. You, you've had two kids now, uh, both Nick, who, who's a graduate of West Point, and Isaiah, who's enlisted in the Army. Uh, Maddie, I think, graduated the University of Minnesota, or is, is about to maybe. Um, and, and then Hannah, who's also in college, uh, by all accounts, um, your kids look like they are killing it in life. Um, what would you say the the secret sauce in your, yours and Lori's parenting is like, what's the, what made it, what made it work? What made your kids so balanced? And, uh, they, they all seem to love Jesus and have a servant's heart. I appreciate the question. I, I don't think there is a secret sauce, to be honest with you. No, that's Otherwise, good. Bottle it and sell it. Uh, but, you know, I think we did 10 things wrong and we did 10 things right. And we had to learn on the street with the kids. Uh, you know, we it, and, and it was a struggle sometimes and they would push back, you know, our kids. I guess one of the things we did with our kids is we tried to give them respect as kids. I know C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says that people can, you know, they're very kind to a lot of people, but they treat their kids like garbage. And it's no wonder why the kids want to spend time everywhere else, but in their own homes, you know? Mm. And, um, I feel like we, we always try to listen to our kids and hear them out. And at the end of the day, you know, what we said went and they had to abide by that. But, and you know, you, you know, the speaker uh, listener technique that we learned in the army that you and I modified and turned into the uh, communication accelerator method. Um, the communication accelerator method has been used in my house a lot. Yeah. We listen to people. We repeat back what they're saying. So they feel validated and heard. And uh, I guess what, what is the secret sauce? I, I have some different thoughts about that. It's hard to come up on the spot about parenting, but I think part of it is just being real, listening, going through life with your kids, but God uses it all, the bad things, the good things. Cause you can talk to our kids. We haven't done everything right, bro. Um, I do think that, you know, the growth that they have had, it, it, God has been involved with them. We, we can't take ownership for that. Oh, sure. God has no grandkids. You know that we're all his kids and he has done so much in their life. And they have responded to God working in their life. And that's what has made them who they are. And Lori and I have been tenants of them, stewards, for just a few years. And Lori and I would talk about that. we say, you know, we've just got a few years with these kids. Let's do well by them. I love it. I love it. That's so good. That's that's a lot of secret sauce right there. And I think it's a, a message that a lot of us need to hear. It's so easy to to think that we own them forever or that we own them to begin with, but, but really just stewards of these precious lives. Um, so the next project you're working on is, is a big passion project for you. Do you want to, do 
you want to tease it a little bit? You want to tell everybody what it is? Well, I've got two projects going on now. I, 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 I'm assuming you're meaning my, um, uh, the historical book on yeah. the Holocaust. Is that, yeah. So, uh, I have a book coming out here. It's, it's already on Amazon, but it's, it, the release date isn't, uh, well, this, okay. We're going to edit this part. <laughs> okay. got it. <laughs> Sorry. The book is called Trains to Treblinka. And what it's about is a secret death camp that Hitler had that possibly, and I couldn't believe this, but my research, what I found is that Treblinka possibly killed more people than Auschwitz in a more compacted timeline. It was only open for a little over a year, 14 months. They were only really active with um, gassings for a year. Uh, The camp was open 16 months. And uh, anyway, through real life stories, people, survivors that testified at the Dusseldorf trials in the 60s, I was able to put together a story based on the survivors' accounts. It's all real people. It's real words. They're in the right place at the right time doing what they actually did. So it's, it's, it, it's a historical fiction, but there's not a lot of fiction in it. Yeah, uh, I put some of their thoughts in there and make it more readable. So it's like you're reading a novel, but it, I, I'll tell you, Tony, people will be amazed when they hear about Treblinka. Um, it, it's just, it, it's fascinating. It's incredible. It's, it's the highest heights of what people can do in a desperate situation. And it's the lowest lows of the despicable Nazi behavior and how they treated other human beings. Hmm. The book I hope gets into the hands of a lot of people because a lot of people have read and heard about the Holocaust, but they don't necessarily know about Treblinka and some of the other death camps. And I focus on some of the Nazis, like in Lion and the Lamb, one of the things that stood out in there was a lot about Albert Speer and, and his take on being a good friend of Hitler and having that whole side of it. So as part of trains to Treblinka, I focus on the Nazis that are running the camp and who they are. Mm. So I really hope readers enjoy it. Um, getting some good feedback right now. People that I've sent the manuscript to ahead of time, they tell me that, you know, they've, they've read it all in one setting or within, you know, a wow. day or two because, they couldn't put it down, you know, and that's what you want in a, in a story. And it, it's not my writing. It's that the facts and this story is so compelling. And I just felt like I got to get this into the hands of, of readers so that they can understand more than just the stories we hear about Auschwitz. And uh, can you tell us at all about the second project? <laughs> I sure can. Um, I've, I'm under contract with Moody Publishers. Mm. Northfield imprint. And I've written a book. The manuscript's about 90% complete. And it's on the subject of candor, which uh, you are really good at. Mm. And I've learned a lot from you about being a person of candor. (laughs) My definition of candor is forthright honesty. And sometimes, Tony, I think you're too honest about your, (laughs) about what's going on. You know, your, your feelings and where you are at the moment. Not, I, I say that in jest. I, right. I think the things that really endears you to people is how open and honest and real you are to them. So I've learned a lot about the subject, just being your friend. Um, and the book doesn't come out until I think it's going to be summer of 2021. And just really excited to get that in the hands of readers as well. Because it's, what it's going to offer is some some tools and techniques to bring candor into all your relationships and into work, your business settings, into church settings, into your prayer life, into your marriage, into, with your kids. How can I use candor in difficult situations with difficult people that don't listen well? Mm. So, you know, I, and I, just to give a little bit of tip on, I use scripture. Uh, it comes from Ephesians 4. I think the Apostle Paul says, speak the truth in love at the need of the moment to give grace to all who hear. And those are four things. Speak up uh, with love to help others at an appropriate time. 
And those are sort of the pillars I have for candor. And I can't wait uh, to have you read an early copy of the manuscript. I'm and excited. Give me- I'm excited. We'll have you back on the podcast to talk about it and, and just dive into that because I think it's uh, something that a lot of people struggle with. So I, I know my readers are going to want to, or my listeners rather, your readers uh, will, will want to follow you online. Where can they go to follow you and to stay in tune with all the projects that are coming out of Causey Writing LLC? that's good you know i've never been as organized as you are uh with social media and blogs and podcasts and websites but i do have a website and it's causybooks.com and it usually focuses on the latest project but it also talks about all the other works and it also has a way to get a hold of me um i i am on facebook and I, a lot of, you've probably seen some of my stories a lot of time right now, since Trains to Jerblanca is about to be published, I've been focused a lot more on the Holocaust and just real quick, had an amazing time. A few days ago, I got to speak to a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. A woman who was in a concentration camp for three years and she was at the camp where my book starts out in- Oh, no, man. In the Czech Republic. Yeah, she was there at the same time that the people I'm writing about were there. And I just think, wow, it's just so incredible that I can talk to somebody that was at the camp at the same time. So uh, her name is Ing Auerbacher, and she's a phenomenal woman. And I, I put a post on Facebook about it. But no, I would love to uh, have people reach out and find out more about it. And, and yeah. as you can tell, uh, for all listeners, uh, Charles is an incredible speaker. And so we had him come and preach at restoration and people still talk about what a gift that was. And so uh, be sure to connect with him, follow him. You can actually get the Causey books as well from my website, twmilt.com or reclamationpodcast.com. And I'm more than happy to get you in touch with him uh, if, if you need someone for that, uh, that special event. All right, now, Charles, uh, the last question, as you know, of every podcast is, uh, is another advice question, right? And and I, I ask my, um, my guests to go back in time and give themselves one piece of advice. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to, to look back at young Charles, um, fresh out of, out of seminary, getting ready to, to step into full-time ministry um, before everything really kicks off. What's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? I think it would be some of the things we've talked about. We've talked about on this uh, interview, and that is that God has got it. It's going to be more amazing than I can imagine right now. Be faithful, and God's going to blow your mind with what He's going to do. And I think there's been times in my life when I've. I've been stressed and struggled and wondering about the future and what decision I should, I could make. And God always has something bigger and better. It's just, it's hard to describe. Um, and I think part of that is just trying to stay faithful and true. I'm not a perfect man. I'm, you know, I, I struggle with sins and things that other, other people do, but um, I really believe that God works even through those things to make us need him more and understand our, the grace that he has given us and understand the power of the love that he has for us, how immeasurable it is and that we get to be called as children. It's pretty awesome. So Amen. that's what I got. Yep. That's Amen. That, that'll preach every day of the week. <laughs> Charles, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I sincerely appreciate it. I know that you've, you've blessed me and you've, You've certainly had a huge impact on my life, and I know that you've blessed the, the listeners who, who are tuning in today. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Tony. Glad to be here. Thank you. Man, I love that guy. <laughs> and I love the conversation we got to have. I just think he has spoken so much wisdom into my life over the years that uh, I hope you really get a taste of that. He's got so many incredible projects that he's working on. He's so wise. Uh, We'll link to all of it in the show notes. You can follow him on Facebook. He's not really on Instagram. It wouldn't be worth the follow. Um, But if you need to get connected to him, you can always go through me. I would love to help you out. He is worth it. So uh, 
As a reminder, don't forget to text the word reclaim to 66866. Come be a part of our community. I think God's doing something pretty crazy here, and I want you to be a part of it. Thank you so much for listening, for leaving a comment, review, subscribing, all the things. We just appreciate you so much. Don't forget to share the episode, and I look forward to hooking up with you guys real soon.